when it works. When it doesn't, we hate it, right? Excited to jump into Ephesians chapter 5, and I want to remind everyone in the room, last time I preached, it's been several weeks, I preached on the great topic of circumcision. (laughs) Only to follow it up this week as we get into really easy issues of parenting, marriage, and slavery. So... I guess that's the lot I drew when I sorted these out as we've been through the summer series. Ephesians 5 is where we're at. We're almost done with this book and heading into the fall. I want to review quickly where we've been and then get into where we are this week. Several weeks ago, Pastor Mike did a wonderful sermon on the 9th of transitioning that Paul's writing this book as a huge theological essay. And all of a sudden, transition says, Ephesians community, love is his answer. And goes in this last three weeks of trying to figure out what a community of believers in the very first church was identified by. What was essential for them. And he went through several long-winded passages. Thankful last week for a panel that addressed a lot of those in terms of what transformation looks like. This week we'll be looking at gender and familial roles, of course. And talking next week about the armor of God. Come back next week for the finished finale of Ephesians. And then 8.13, again, we're going to be looking at our values I invite you to come back on that Sunday specifically as we'll look and talk about the values of Element 3 and where we're going to be heading as a church as the new year, the fall, kind of how the church calendar goes, approaches. And then, of course, come back for your free t-shirt. Everybody loves a free t-shirt. The church joke is you can get anything to do, anyone to do anything, you can promise a free t-shirt. Amen? Amen. Amen. Yeah, you know. You know it's true. You're groaning, but you know it's true. Before we get in the text today, I want to have a little competition that will help us understand maybe how these verses can can really do apply. And the competition is going to be a game show, of course. (laughs) Not Jeopardy, because you know when you have Jeopardy, you have to die. This is Pick the Decade, ladies and gentlemen. Round of applause for yourselves for participating. Here's the rules. There's going to be an item that I'm going to explain. When I say the item, you hold up the decade based on fingers you're going to be holding up for everyone to see. You're your own judges. If you get it right, you can celebrate privately. If you get it wrong, it's okay. It's just fun, okay? It's just fun. So, for example, the great Walkman on the screens right now. Everybody know what a Walkman is? Yeah, most people are like, huh? Yeah, some people are like, yes, I know what a Walkman is. I had one. I remember being so jealous of my best friend, Patrick James. He had that yellow one, and I, I pulled the slide up. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm doing one of the Ten Commandments wrong. I'm, 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 you're, I'm coveting after that Walkman. But in all seriousness, what decade was the Walkman created? Hold up your fingers. You can't go back. One means 2010. Two means 2020, okay? So if, if you're looking at, 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 if you say 1980, you're holding up eight fingers. But the answer, friends, 1979. 1979. That was a practice. That was a practice. No one got any wrong, okay? No one got any wrong. We're all at zero. That was a practice. Are you ready? The first person of color president. Hold up your fingers. First person of color president. Don't don't do ten. What decade? What decade? If, it, if it's the two thousands, it's zero. If it's two thousand ten, it's one. Okay, 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 everybody. If you're holding up zero, you're correct. He's inaugurated in the two thousands, the aughts, as we say it now. The Wizard of Oz, going back the whole century. The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz. I'm seeing some six, I'm seeing some four, some three. Some people aren't playing, and I'm judging you. <laughs> if you have three up, you're correct. 1930s. 1930s. The bikini. 
When was a bikini invented? I have lots of fives and fours. I have some people going like this. It was just invented 20 years ago. Okay. 1940s. Now we're getting into it. All right? The Super Bowl. The Super Bowl. You don't give people the answer. There's prizes at the end, folks. No, there's not. There's no prizes at all. 1960s. Well done, well done. The hole in the ozone was discovered. What year was a whole new, what decade? Anybody holding up eight? <laughs> mad cow. Remember that? Remember that? We're all going to die of mad cow. I know somebody who has it. She's alive. Mad cow. I'm going back. This is a, this is a, this is a trap because 2000s. Did anybody get them all right? No? No? All right, let's just do one quick more as we, as we transition. If anybody got them all right and there's a tie, I had several tiebreaker ones. Do you want to do the tiebreakers just for fun? Yeah, okay, let's do the tiebreakers just for fun. Okay, here we go. Matchbox cars. Matchbox cars, when were they created? The little cars. 1950s. How about this one, the Frisbee? Everybody loves a Frisbee. What decade was the Frisbee created? I know. Amazing technology, just in 1940s. I'm sure they had a Frisbee back in Jesus' day, though, right? Jesus made one out of wood. Dolly the Sheep was cloned. Dolly the Sheep. Remember Dolly the Sheep? Some of you have no idea. You're like, what? Dolly the who? That's a recent technology, 1990s. And last, something that Pastor Mike knows nothing about. When was the NBA created? NBA, NBA, 1940s. It's a fascinating game, right? Fascinating game. That some of these items are still relevant and are key today. Like, for example, Dolly the sheep was a groundbreaking, the first cloned sheep. Scientists are still looking back and saying, how did we do that? Why did we do that? Is it okay that we did that? And some, like the Walkman, are relics. I, I would be surprised if anyone in here who isn't a guardian of the galaxy has a Walkman. Some have stood the test of time and change that we see today, and some are irrelevant or have changed into something completely else. And this does apply to our passage to a sense today. This morning we'll delve into some of the most carelessly used scripture in the history of the Christian church. Most of the carelessly used scripture in the history of the Christian church. Now I believe that all scripture is God-breathed, and I still believe that. But there are passages that have been so ruined, like a good ingredient overused in a dish, <laughs> garlic, that has then, I know I love, you can't have too much garlic. Just give me this straight garlic and that's what I want. But honestly, you can't overuse certain ingredients and this one has been so badly used that we have to acknowledge the fact that it's been preached poorly. I'll at times dialogue with those former past preachers and I want to reiterate that all the messages are not for my glory or fame, but to help you move forward and all of us move forward in your relationship to Jesus Christ, to become fully devoted disciples of Jesus, because that's our mission here at E3. And of course, I'm always open to dialogue, email, call, text, face-to-face. -face. I want to hear from you how these messages impact and transform your life. With that in mind, we have to understand that this passage has aged, not just over 100 years, 
But over 2,000 years, almost, 2,000 years of pastors preaching on this particular passage. Some of it has aged remarkably well, and some of it not so much. For example, culturally, slavery, which we'll get into in a moment, and oftentimes was a voluntary thing that people took part in. Because they had so much debt or because they had no way to, comp- to provide for themselves, you would find someone who had amounts of resources and voluntarily become their slave, and you would become part of their property. That's not something we do today, right? Women, in Paul's day, had zero cultural rights and were majority of the time considered a form of bargaining or of property. That's fun. Children were also seen as this, but were more of a retirement investment. In Jesus' day, they did not have 401ks. There was no stock market. There was no internet. There was no cars. There was no electricity. So when you had a child, it wasn't for something that you could fawn over and dote over and play with. It was because that child was going to take care of you when you could no longer take care of yourself. And lastly, marriage. Quite different. Marriage was rarely about love. It was a societal construct that represented duty and loyalty, namesake and lineage, more than our culture would ever see it today. But here's where we'll start with marriage and with Paul and talking about wives and a quick instruction, and then we'll move to husbands. But before, before we get into that, you heard our scripture reader, who was perfect. He was one of the shortest scripture readings here at Element 3 probably has ever had. Because Paul begins with this verse that hinges it all together. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence of Christ. Many of you have heard this passage and wondered, why do we only have this one verse? It's because this is the essential unifying verse for the entirety of the remaining part of the passage I'll be preaching on today. It's a healthy understanding of the whole narrative. Out of transitioning several weeks ago from theology to communal love, Paul continues to address this community around the topic of submission, and then he moves on to wives. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. No elbows, please. For the, I can hear them right now, okay? For the husband is the head of the wife as the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should also submit to their husbands in everything. Paul is writing to a marriage setting completely different than our own. I just mentioned that. And just like the Walkman, it has changed rather quickly in our own lifetimes, Marriage in 2023 is vastly different than 1953. Yes? Marriage is vastly different in 1953 than it was in 53. And we have to acknowledge the changing idea of what a marriage is. How many of you were pledged from your father to a person who you had never met before? No. There are not arranged marriages in America in 2023, but in 53 all the time. They'd be different than the idea maybe of arranged marriages you have in your mind. It's very culturally nuanced. But just because it changes, we have to realize also that marriage today is oftentimes more healthy, better than it was in Paul's day. Moreover, there are many in this room that I must acknowledge as well that are having a rough go in their marriage at this variety point of their lives for various reasons. Marriage does involve submission from both parties. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Remember, no one gets married, friends, and then for financial reasons or for some weird reality show, leaves that person and never sees them again. Right? There is this idea that I'm going to be apart with this person for my lifetime or for 
variety of reasons why things may break apart. But our cultural context says that marriage is about a 50-50 proposition. I'll submit my 50 if you give me your 50. It's a, it's a bargaining tool, right? When in fact marriage, if you submit, is a 100-100 proposition. And there are times where one partner in a marriage cannot give 100 and the other has to cover their amount. What marriage actually has become is something very healthy in some senses compared to Paul's day. But as we get into this, we'll see. I believe Paul would have a lot to say to us in 2023 about marriage. To pastors who use this in 2023 out of context, just saying the verses I just read with no other idea about submitting to one another in Christ or the entirety of Ephesians, you're a sniveling, weak, emasculated idiots who are perverting God's holy scripture. Women, saying you submit to any man because of Jesus is using scripture not only out of context, but it's weaponizing the Bible to blaspheme a person who's controlling another person. Marriage is submission for both parties. And Paul proves this by now transitioning to husbands and writing twice as much to them. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the water, by the washing with water, excuse me, through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is laden between Paul dialoguing two husbands in the Ephesian church and then all of a sudden bringing in Genesis and then all of a sudden bringing in another scripture and trying to just muddle through. I think he's just a little ADD right now, right? Paul's writing this. He's like, oh, we should do put in this and put in this and put in this. Kind of sounds like me preaching, right? Thanks for the laugh, yeah. I had pause for a laugh from Mike and then, okay. There we go. Thank you. However, when we look at this passage and if we read the entire letter, both of Paul's analogy using the love of Christ has for the church and the mutual submission and mutual love of the husband and the wife regarding Jesus and the church can be a beautiful and eternal metaphor. But culturally, this would hit men twice as hard. Why? Well, because in the early church, women who were powerless were given power, and so the early church was filled with women, and specifically women leaders. Women were leading the infant church. And so Paul, likely writing to the Ephesians, says, hey, come on, guys. Come on, guys. Where are the men in the room? Where are the husbands? And writes them doubly long, trying to convince them that being a Christian involves equality, mutual submission, and mutual love in any relationship. Men were likely missing from this Ephesian church. But the bottom line is for husbands and wives, these passages are not prescriptive for how every single message should be, but rather instructing both the ancient Ephesian church and can also be instructing to us today. Uh, using this as a personal story, which today is my anniversary to my lovely wife. Just wanted to sneak that in there. I did not expect applause, but thank you. 
pray for her. Amen. Here's, here's the, <laughs> now you got me all flustered. Here's how we have to understand this is that when Chris and I were first married and I would read these passages, I'd say, this is how a husband's supposed to be. Ugh. And a wife's supposed to submit to her husband, right? I remember very early on, we were having a particular discussion about something. Probably we were going to have dinner. And we pulled out these verses and understanding that somehow I was supposed to make this defining, this definitive vision saying, we're going to go here because I love you. And you're going to submit and come with me. And very quickly, I realized that, that, that taking this scripture and applying it directly in every single situation was not going to work in a marriage. And in fact, it was several people who met with us, who mentored us, who molded us, who discipled us, helped us understand what this passage truly means by their actions and much less their words. Relationships and marriages are hard. And we know that in 2023. Not just those in a marital relationship, but any relationship. But it takes discipleship and the ability to walk alongside someone to help you interpret what these words can mean in the current context. But Paul continues on. And he continues on to topics that we also have to address because they're relatable, not to both the Ephesian church, but us today. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may, well go, may go well for you and you may enjoy a long life on earth. Fathers, do not exacerbate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Again, culturally, dads looked at kids and said, you're my retirement. I don't have to do anything with you because that's the mother's job. And really, most fathers were in the field or doing some sort of trade. And so they're mostly absent from the child's life culturally. And so you have to read this understanding who Paul's writing to. But can this apply to me in 2023? Verse 5, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each of you for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and there's no favoritism in them. I hope, I don't need to tell you, while these verses no longer apply to our current context, right? These verses are kind of like the Walkman, where if I read a passage about slavery, I can just be like, Whoop. but can I, can I apply them in terms of a boss relationship to his employee? Maybe. It's also very careful exegesis of understanding what the text is trying to say, how I interpret it, and then how can I apply. What is noteworthy is that Paul refuses to abolish slavery as a whole, saying slavery is illegal, it's a sin. But instead, he reorients the relationship, saying both the slave and the master are at the same level. Do you understand how he does that culturally and shatters the ancient worldview of what that relationship was? Paul reorients this relationship without completely usurping the common culture. Paul does this in so many ways, in so many letters to so many churches. And that's why I find Ephesians 5, this second half, and into Ephesians 6, it's a hard understanding of what did Paul say just to those people, and how do I apply it today? And that makes me ask the question, how might Paul view our society today? 
he may say some of the same things he said to Ephesians. I guarantee he would say that verse we just heard read. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But probably it would sound a lot different. Just last week, we quickly touched on Paul's command, do not get drunk on wine, for example. Drinking and getting drunk on wine in Paul's day is completely different than in 2023. Most of the water in Paul's day was not potable. And so people would actually drink wine because it was the only safe, naturally filtered source through the grape. Does that mean that we can only drink grape juice today? No. Does that mean that Paul might say, hey, your culture is really oriented around a certain beverage. Are you doing that responsibly? Are you doing that respectfully? Are you doing that in your own life well? Again, what would Paul say about our fervor to serve the poor, the mistreated, the aliens of the day? Would Paul look at our entire economic system and just say, what? Greed? That's disgusting? Or would the mere fact that we live in such a lavish society be too foreign for him to even comprehend? What would Paul say about children today? About parenting, the prevalence of technology? Would Paul like Bluey? Yes, yes. How would Paul engage the workplace today? Would there be a letter about standing desks versus ergonomic keyboards? Would he even have words to understand what we are doing in our common day without a lot of forethought? And lastly, what would Paul say about marriage in 2023? About all our interpersonal relationships, not just those that are to ourselves, but those who are not a Christian in by name. How do we treat those who are not part of our group? Do we treat them with mutual submission? Or do we treat them looking to get something out of them? I think Paul would have a lot to say to us. Unfortunately, Paul isn't here. But we can ask this. What does God say today? How does the Spirit of God speak to me and my heart and to us as a corporate community and to our world? See, that same Spirit inspired Paul to write Ephesians and speaking to you today about marriages, about children, about employment. And I believe the Spirit is calling us to counterculturally submit, submit to one another of reverence for Christ. Instead of beating the Bible, why don't we seek to understand the God of this book is calling us to be in this day and age through submission to all, even those that we don't understand, perhaps. See, friends, the Bible is no Walkman, make no mistake. But we must be careful not to selfishly treat it like one, even if we don't always understand what we read. And this is where I may say the most controversial statement for both those who consider themselves liberal wackadoodles and the conservative freaks. I love you both on how we must interpret the Bible because these extremes are interpreting the same book so vastly different. Here's a secret sauce. Read it and then reread it again and again and again and study your Bible. Let it speak and don't look for verses that back up your own preconceived notions. Let the whole scripture speak to you. The entire book of Ephesians and all of those books rather than backing up your only already held beliefs. When you read, study and reread your Bible, both in community and by yourself, so you can understand Paul and every writer writes for their community, and then at times writes and speaks for the entirety of Christianity itself. And remember, the Bible isn't written just for you. 
the Bible isn't written just for 2023. The Bible will be written also for those in the year 3,000 and 4,000 and however long Jesus takes to get back here. Ephesians 5 and 6 as a 40-year-old something is challenging and hits me different than I read it when I was a 20-year-old something. But it's still challenging. It's still transforming. And that's how we need to engage this chapter and the entire books of the Bible. Passages about the eternal nature of Jesus, the nature of God, and salvation do not fall to cultural context. But there are passages that bring hope, bring peace, bring direction, and bring love. This beautiful roadmap to the salvation plan of our great God, hidden in tiny figures, woven through 66 books that all carry the same, they all carry the same power and the same meaning and applied in different cultures, different languages, and different people across the globe. See, I don't have to agree with the person sitting across the room from me about presidents or politics or why the SEC is a bunch of loser schools. Just sign that in there. Make sure you're staying awake. What I know is that this salvation plan speaks through and outside of culture's time and through so many authors in different contexts. When you read and reread scripture on your own and in community over and over, you find that in different seasons and different verses hit you differently. For those married, for those with children, for those who are employed. But then there are eternal factors that stand the rest of time and all eternity. Verses like in Ephesians 5 and 6 that the whole book and the Bible are called back to. Friends, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I could preach three or more, four more sermons on this to be sure. But our worship team selected a fantastic reflective song for you to sit back and listen and consider who do you need to submit to out of reverence for Christ because Christ submitted to you. I invite you to listen to this next song and reflect. <laughs> 